Gather round, one and all, and listen to tales of excitement and adventure. Tales of daring heroes, savage monsters, and bards who just couldn't keep it in their pants. Tales of friendship, nobility, drunken foolishness, and unforgettable fun. These are tales of role-playing games, fair listeners, and this is Rollin' Bones. My name is Ryan Howard, and I shall be your guide. Good evening, Boneheads, and welcome to Rollin' Bones with Ryan Howard, your RPG treasure trove. I am your host and king of the Boneheads, Ryan Howard, and joining us this evening, he is the creator and host of Tankar's Tavern. Uh, You guys probably all know him out there and love him. He's done some great videos here recently and in the past. Uh, If not, you may have seen, if not from his videos, you may have seen him at a Frog God Games table at a convention. Uh, But ladies and gentlemen... Eric Tankar is here with us on Rolling Bones. So Eric, welcome. Hey, folks. How are you? Good to, good to be seen. Just I'm not actually seeing you, but yes. <laughs> Absolutely. This, this feels like it's been a long time coming because we have a lot of mutual friends. I've had pretty much everyone from the, the Frog God orbit on, and it just felt like the right time to kind of bring you on because you've been talking about some really interesting topics lately, and I feel like i want to you know talk with you about them that's perfect then synchronicity that's what i like absolutely i completely blanked on any of the words from synchronicity too so we'll just skip over that joke (laughs) oh no that's that's okay man we're not gonna be uh quoting you know police songs right now Mm because that would just be probably inappropriate Absolutely. Besides, we already have the police on the stream uh, with, with you ah, here. So retired, yeah. and, if, and and five years retired. So uh, yeah, I'm way in my past. Gotcha. And joining us here in chat, we've got, of course, my wife called Lizard Elf and John Page, uh, who will be oh. joining us next week uh, for a session zero of a little live game that we are going to be doing. Uh, monthly moving forward so guys uh thanks for uh thanks for dropping in chat here very cool so eric before we dive into some of these uh these topics that i want to discuss with you i've got these questions that everyone gets asked when they come on the show so i I understand completely when i started my podcast and i do a lot of interviews i always had five questions i asked everybody because you get how you get to know them so go Mm -hmm. ahead uh let's see where they go and hopefully my answers will suffice Absolutely. Let's, uh, I mean, let's start here at the beginning. How did you find yourself uh, into role-playing games and, and Dungeons and & Dragons and all that comes with it? Uh, my friend Kenny, I believe it was, uh, I'm going to say sixth grade. It was winter. I, I was at his house, and he pulled out this book with, I thought it was like a demon on it, the Afridi from the... Uh, Dungeon Master's Guide, first edition. And said, hey, I got this great new game we learned about in school. He went to Catholic school. I was a public school kid. So it's great that Catholic school is introducing him to Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> so uh, 
he ran me through a solo adventure, uh, and uh, I uh, had my my first level fighter, who I thought I was being really cool naming my fighter Cyrus after the Secretary of State under, uh, I guess, uh, our, our peanut former president. I don't really know why I, I chose Cyrus. It's not be cool. I still have the character sheet somewhere. Mm-hmm. But uh, Cyrus was... Uh, like killed a bunch of skeletons and rats, and he only had the Dungeon Master's Guide, so he had to call a friend back when a phone call, even a local phone call, was 10.6 cents. He had to call a friend and say, hey, here are this much experience points that he'd level up. And at that point, I was I was booked. I knew, I knew what I wanted that summer for my birthday. I was, I was all in. And was this uh, was this like BX or was this first edition? Whereabouts was, in the timeline this, was this? This was this was first edition. This was probably in seventy nine, gotcha. uh, and I, I was of the uh, of the group when I started playing in junior high school and the same group, but then kind of morphed into high school. Uh, basic was for for the kids, right? We mm-hmm. were advanced. How? I mean, I bought my basic set at a, you know, a discount store with the notch cut through, uh, I guess when they, when they technically returned it. Mm-hmm. So my, my group didn't play basic because it was for babies. And as I grew older and left gaming and then came back to gaming, I realized that I lost out on so much by not playing basic back in the day. Basic is really, I think, the sweet spot for, for RPGs. Gotcha. So, of the games that you've played, just kind of over your whole history of RPGs, what would you say your favorite game system is? Um, well, I, I would say I am deep into the OSR, so um, I, I would say if I was going for a classic system, I, I played a lot of uh, AD&D 1E. I play, I, when I say played, I ran. Mm-hmm. My group would only... If we played if we played Dungeons and Dragons or Advanced Dungeons and Dragons, I was the only one allowed to run it because that, that was my specialty. So I, I ran first edition, I ran second edition. Um, and when I came back to gaming after being gone for about ten years, I ran Osric and enjoyed it, but uh, I found that my sweet spot now was Swords and Wizardry, because Swords and Wizardry plays damn close to how we ran uh AD and D one E back in the day with taking out weapon speed and segments and spell interruptions and all these other things that we put to the side as we realized it was just slowing the game down. We didn't call it house ruling. We just stopped, used the, stopped using the rules. Mm-hmm. So I find Swords and Wizardry fits that 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 need for me. But um, if we were talking a game that was not based upon D&D, uh, I would say the D6 system is something that I really have a soft spot for because it, it's such so very flexible. Hmm. Open D6 is is going to have to be my 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 number two and all the variations thereof. Hmm. Is that the the West End Games D6 system? Yeah, the West End Games D6 system. I mean, I, and I didn't. I had the Star Wars rules. I occasionally ran them, but I really got to appreciate them. Uh, once I stopped gaming, I stopped gaming for about 10 years because of my career choice when when you you suddenly don't have weekends off and you're working to 2 o'clock in the morning. You, you don't have the right time to game with normal people. So mm-hmm. I was away from gaming for a number of years. 
but I did a lot of game collecting during that time, and I got to really uh, look at and read and appreciate the D6 system. So it became uh, something I was like, wow. If I wasn't, if I'm not running something that's OSR, it would it would probably be D6. Mm-hmm. Gotcha, gotcha. Now it's funny you mention uh, your your first character, uh, Cyrus the fighter. It's it's always interesting to me kind of where names come from in in RPGs because uh, you mentioned you know Cyrus came from was it Jimmy Carter's Secretary of State? You said. Yep. Yep. My my first character, I, I've got kind of a similar uh, place where my first character's name came from. Uh, so Cromwell McGuen is the name of my first character. And his name came from, I, I had two good friends in high school. Uh, their middle name was McGuen because their mother's maiden name was McGuen. And I just thought it was a fascinating name. And then we were talking mm-hmm. about Oliver Cromwell in World History and even uh, though Oliver okay. Cromwell is kind of a, a tyrant and and a lot of people have strong opinions of him, I was just like, Cromwell. Cromwell McGuinn. a great sounding name. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I, I remember all my initial characters' uh, names. My, 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 after that, after you started creating characters, I, my New York group was just me as a, as a GM, but I spent summers in the Poconos and in high school and and that i could actually play occasionally hmm. i had striker my paladin valen my magic user phasmir my illusionist those were my my core phasmir i mean the, the the imagination that 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 took place in thinking up phasmir for your illusionist is not really huge as an adult but i guess when you were 15 year old teen it was like wow that's a great sounding name mm-hmm. but yeah I, you're attached to all your initial characters because they formed the gamer that you became. That was a lot, you know, so they, they have a special place. Hmm. I couldn't tell you the characters that I ran in uh, in Rifts, which I probably played for two years. I couldn't tell you my characters. You know, they, they don't define you as a gamer as much as those first characters. Hmm. Now, when you run games and then when you get to be a player uh, in, in both situations, how would you describe your play style? As a GM, I lean heavily on improv. Because uh, when I was younger, I was pretty much running adventures out of Dragon Magazine, Dungeon Magazine. Mm-hmm. And players would go off script and I would get all pissed off. <laughs> and... Uh, because well, yeah, I don't, you know, we're, but I was younger, and now uh, as an adult, uh, when I came back to uh, gaming again after a long break, this is probably about oh my god, uh, 10, 10, 11 years ago, back when D and D Next was being play tested, um, I was there as a player, but after our GM uh, burned out on the play test, which I don't blame him, it was a horrible play test to wrap your head around because it was just changing the rules a lot. It was, it was good for what it needed to do, but it was horrible if you were the one trying to figure out the rules every other week. Hmm. But uh, we had a great group that we, we, we had assembled for it, and he's like, I don't want to lose this group, but I'm burned out. I need a break. So I was like, alright, well, I haven't run a game in 10 years, and we're playing on Fantasy Ground. No, we're playing on, like, Roll20 or, or the predecessor of Roll20 and Hangouts, and I was like, alright, I'll, I'll run Osric, because it's AD&D just clarified. Mm-hmm. And 
I ran it mostly as a sandbox um, or a hex crawl using Blackmarsh from uh, Rob Conley. Great resource uh, if you want to, uh, you know, run something of that type. But it forced me to improvise and work off my players. And I think that I have greater strength off of that as a GM than I do sticking to a script. The only problem I find is that when you improvise, you can do some great improvisation in, in, in a game session and, and work off the cuff. It's being consistent. So my trick for that was always at the end of the game session, I'd be like, all right, folks, most of you guys have blogs or you're on you know, Google+. Plus. Do a write-up of the session. It doesn't have to be big, a couple of paragraphs, post it, and I'll give you a 10% experience point bonus for the session. But what it did for me is it gave me four, five, six different perspectives of what was important and what happened in the session. So not only did I get to remember the names of NPCs that I made up on the spot and a little bit about them, but I got to see what my players were focusing on. And it wasn't always what I thought the focus was going to be on. Mm -hmm. um, fireworks going off in the background. <laughs> but it... But it became, I got the feedback of, oh, I thought that was a throwaway character I just threw at them as a shopkeeper. But it, it struck on everybody. So obviously this is going to be somebody I need to follow up with and, and expand their role in the campaign because my players are already leaning toward that. So it was a trick. I didn't even, I just did it out of the, I, I need a recap because I, I was working off the cuff and I'm not taking great notes. And instead, I, was, I got a great recap. But I also got to see what my players were, fo were focusing on, mm -hmm. and that feedback was priceless. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and that's a that's a good that's one of those uh, one of those tricky DM things of uh, you know he y you do some of the work for me and uh, I'll I'll give you a reward and then at that yeah. point you're 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 working together in, in a beautiful way. That's, it's, it's one of the great things about being a DM because you don't feel dirty about it because it gives them something. They get something out of it just as much as you do. Yeah. And I mean, I, I was very surprised though when I would, when I would see them again, something that you thought was just as a DM, but was it just a throwaway event? It was just something that's like, I'm going to throw this in there for, just, just for a little atmosphere, and I go, wow, uh, four to five players in the last session all focused on that and, and remarked on it. Well, I guess it, it maybe if I make it into something I wasn't planning to, um, it'll work with expectations and just move the whole campaign forward. So I had a lot of fun uh, you know, doing that, and I had a lot of fun uh, doing something similar with, with, with another group. I, it wasn't even a hex crawl. That was a, it was a mega dungeon. I was using Joe Block's uh, Castle of the Mad Arc Mage. And even with that one, I did a lot of improvisation. Didn't always go by the book because I hate going by the book now. Mm -hmm. I, at my, I was by the book when I was younger. I am very far from being by the book now. And, and this is all, again, running games as a campaign. It's different if you're running a game at a, at a convention because conventions are all about, you know, you got to pace it. But uh, on a home campaign, you work the pacing off what your players expect and, and, and what seems comfortable for them. Hmm. So that, that's why improvisation, for me, works very well, because it allows me to work off my players like that. Absolutely. Now, of all kind of the, you know, the RPG memories that you have, because everyone who devotes time to this hobby, we've got some fond memories wrapped up in this hobby. What would you say your fondest RPG memory is? 
as a player or as a GM? Because that, that's that's those are different memories. Um, let's say as a GM. Uh, all right. I, I would say there's a close second where I had a party uh, actually drive off uh, a dragon and then decide, you know, they lost half the party. They wanted to end the campaign on a high note that we actually forced the dragon off and stole part of its treasure. And let's end the campaign now because we're never going to top this. But as a GM, my favorite moment was, uh, I guess, my God, we must have been 1920 and I, it was uh, Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay first edition. Mm-hmm. I was loving the, loving running it. Good good system, uh, great for role play, great setting, and we we were about six months into it. We're running the uh, campaign setting, uh, the enemy within, and it's going great. And our party mage wizard um, thought of himself as a bit of a Mexican bandito because he would wear a, a bandolier of oil flasks because. When he ran out of like spell points, he was always throwing flaming oil. Mm-hmm. So they're in town being attacked by Skaven, and he decides he's going to cast a fireball. And he fumbles, and it impacts Ground Zero on him with four out of five party members surrounding him. Uh, the impact of the fireball and the seven flasks of oil, if they didn't, I think it killed. Four PCs outright. One was bleeding out, and one and one was smartly away from everything. I, I was there with my mouth open, and I was like, "Well, I guess that campaign is over." We never went back to playing Warhammer, but it still stuck with me because it was the most. If you're going to end a campaign mm-hmm. on on any note, you you can't get. I, I've run. I've for some reason, I find that players always like to play with fire, literally as oh, yeah. the characters. And um, that was one of those things. I was like, well, I was having a great time running this campaign. But if you have to end it, going up in flames literally is the way to do it. So I, I, that, that stuck out. Really, really stuck out. He, 33 years later, I'm, I'm still thinking about that one very fondly. Definitely. Yeah, there, there really is something, and I don't know what it is, but everyone who plays a magic user for the first time, they just want to know, all right, when and how can I throw fire around? Yeah, pretty pretty much. Now, like my wife is, she's, she's a gamer adjacent. She goes to conventions, and she'll play uh, at, at conventions. She just won't play outside that. And she played in a Sword and the Wizard Light uh, game I was running at North Texas a couple of years ago. And she played a magic user. And I said to her flat out, I go, you've seen magic users in action. You're a first level magic user. You can have one spell. You do realize that. She goes, you yeah, know, okay. So she cast her one sleep spell. And then she's like, all right, what else can I, well, look what she cast you. Because I got daggers. Because she wanted to throw daggers. I'm like, all right. Well, now you have no more daggers. What are you going to do now? She goes, iron spikes. Like, <laughs> Turned into a gamer. She's, she's. What, 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 once, you, once your spouse is figuring out how to use iron spikes as a weapon, um, you know that you've introduced them well to the hobby. So I felt, I felt very, very happy and special at that point. Mm-hmm. So by the time I was going, you probably don't want to play a magic user again. Yeah, I mean, when I, the- when I introduced my wife to to D and D, what I found out, uh, she she tells me that her favorite thing is combat, and I think. 
uh, deep down in her heart, she has a little bit of murder hobo in her. Just just a little bit. And she's here in uh, chat, so she can stand up for herself here. But I, I think... My, my wife, too. Yeah. You know. And it's and it's surprising. My wife... You look at my wife, and it's like, oh, she's a social worker. She's... You know, she... she play, at North Texas, uh, usually every year, there's a... Uh, the wives and the significant others get together, and they run their own sessions, like, away from the rest of us, you know. And... I they they apparently this year they ran uh, a game set in Prohibition, and they were killing people like left and right. <laughs> I walked by the table, and I'm like, "What the hell is going?" Most bloodthirsty individuals I've ever seen, and and they're the sweetest women I've ever known. My wife, especially, and I was like, "Wow, I guess when you let your hair down, you really can let your hair down." God bless. Mm. God bless. Yeah, my my wife here in chat, uh, Elfie, she she's talking about she she loves to enter combat and then she loves to spare her opponents' lives and then try to get them to join the cause. So that's oh, nice. that's her thing, and and they do it pretty consistently in the game that I ran with her and some of her friends. Uh, they basically every every two sessions was just like. You know, we we've bested you in combat, but would you like to join up with us and join our cause? And they're like, well, yes, because you know they they would roll well enough, and they'd find up enough uh, about a character's backstory to really know like how to communicate with them. And so basically, all of the bosses would just end up running into each other on the road back to the like general NPC that I'd put uh, in the game to kind of basically give them instructions. Right. So they had this yeah, giant I, army of misfit toys, basically. Uh, you know, again, like my my wife did not know gaming when she met me. She encouraged me to get back into gaming when I met her. When we were dating, uh, we're going to have our 10th wedding anniversary coming up uh, in November. But when we were dating, I had been gaming on Fantasy Grounds on Saturday nights. And she was like, well, we got to wrap up then and get you home by 8 o'clock. I'm like, are you out of your <laughs> what no 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 this is important for you you so this is a good interest for you it's good for you now you should i'm like where the hell did i find you i mean what the <laughs> and uh you know at first she wasn't my first north texas she was not supposed to be joining me it was supposed to be uh one of my current co-hosts at, uh every other friday uh, joe the lawyer but Joe had monetary issues at the time, he had budgetary issues, and he couldn't make it. And I was like, oh, you already have the hotel room. Like, yeah, get me a, a plane ticket. I'll, I'll fly down with you. And make you sure? Yeah, oh, it's Dallas. I'm sure I can go shopping and stuff like that. Uh, I signed up for a few games with me, and uh, by Friday night, she's, she's telling me, we're coming back next year. I'm like, great, we haven't even left the hotel. <laughs> You've been no, no. This place is great. The games are great. The people are great. And Bad Mike, who I didn't know at the time, you know, one of the guys that runs uh, North Texas, witnessed my wife saying that. He was just like, "Wow, we, 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 we converted rage. We can convert anybody." Because mm -hmm. she, yeah, she, she was not planning on it, but she had. When you when you game with the right people, the right groups, uh, the right atmosphere. I think a lot of people come into gaming, especially spouses, 
whether it's you know husband to wives, uh, boyfriends to girlfriends, they come into it and they get nervous, like they're going to be reject, rejected by the group or at the table, or they're going to be you know judged. And when you can just allow them to enjoy the game for what it is, then they understand what we get out of it. And my wife, now she goes to conventions and she's like, she's like, oh yeah, I'm playing with the girls. I'm like, okay. Well, then I can just, I'll, I'll have fun in the bar you play with the girls. Like, that, that, that's great. And, you, and now I can do my own stuff and feel guilt-free because she's enjoying the experience. And it doesn't have to be as a couple, although we enjoy it as a couple, but she can enjoy it for what it is. And uh, that's beautiful. And she'll be at Game Hall. She likes Game Hall, too, because the shuttle bus at the, uh, at the Clarion goes anywhere within three miles, I think, of the hotel. She'll do her shopping and her yoga-ing, uh, in addition to gaming. Gotcha. Now, when we game, we kind of, you know, we, we share the table with all kinds of people. And some of them we get along with really well. Some of them, though, we really just don't click with. Especially at conventions, where you don't know who's at the table with you. So, if you have a story that you're comfortable with sharing on the show about that guy, that one guy at the table who just had to ruin it for everyone else uh, that you find particularly amusing or entertaining, go for it. You know, I'm really trying to think, because um, until this North Texas, I actually hadn't played in a con game in a number of number of years, because I've been running games. <laughs> uh, this year I didn't run any games, I actually got to play in it. So... Um, I'm trying to think of uh, any kind of a train wreck. You know, all right, I, 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 not even a huge train wreck. I, sometimes the issue, and, and, I'm, and I think this will meld into something that we'll probably be discussing possibly later in this cast, is that um, I had a younger player at the table. Uh, I was running uh, Rappanathic uh, with a 3D terrain and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And he had two issues. He had to always be successful and he had to be the center of attention. That's part, in some cases, that's part of the age. Mm-hmm. So, um, I just had to find a way to make sure that the other party members stayed as part of the focus and then I improvised and gave him uh, a, a magic item that kind of encouraged him to be Good, and by being good, meaning allow others to succeed. Because when others others succeeded, he got a little extra ability that he could use, a little extra bonus. So it allowed him to encourage others, so then he could become better. So it was working around it because I I want everybody at the table to walk away with a good time. And yes, a disruptive player can can really. be a pain and i don't have uh, a personal story of of that although i do know somebody a dear friend of mine who had that a game that they were running somebody who uh even before the game started started to um critique the setup and started bit, not bad mouthing the, the gm bad mouthing the creator of the adventure and uh other and the artist of the work that was being shown and that person had to get disinvited from the table. 
why do you just like to make that from the table? Everyone's entitled to own, own a ping, sure, but no, you you don't need to subject seven other players to your obnoxiousness. You're going to be it's part of being a team, at, and when you're at a table, and if you you know if you have an issue with something as a player, and it's like, oh well, I I don't particularly like the author of this adventure, then why did you sign up for it? You knew going into it. So some people, I think, go into it looking to be disruptive. Oh, yeah. It's just their personality. Uh, I have never had to remove anybody from uh, a game session. Uh, I don't think it's because I'm a great DM or GM. I think I get, I've been lucky. But I've I've seen... And, and when I was told about this incident, I... I when I was told who it was, I was like, "Oh, yeah, I guess I probably would have done the same." So, yeah, it was. Uh, I, I haven't had that, thank God. Nobody's been. Nobody's reached uh, disruption on on that kind of a level. Yeah, some people want the attention and they need to be the focus. You're the GM. You control where the focus goes. You know, you don't have to feed into it. That's always been my experience. Absolutely. And as a player, I've been lucky to have had good GMs in all the sessions, but usually at a convention, I, I'm, I'm signing up for uh, spots with people that I know. Hmm. If I recognize names, I know, I, I, my first North Texas, I was like, oh, look, Tim Schneider, Zach Glazer. Oh, okay. Um, who else? Doug Kovacs. Oh, okay. Michael Curtis. People that I knew from, I didn't know them maybe personally, but I knew them from blogs and stuff like that. Hmm. I kind of knew their style. And uh, in the case of, of Rach, her first RPG session at a convention was playing Time Master, the classic pace setter game. Mm-hmm. And the reason why it was Time Master for her first session is because I figured Tim Schneider was running it. Um, and most likely, only Tim and myself will have any experience with the rules. I used to run it back in the day. Uh, and I figured if that's the case, then she's not going to be at any more of a disadvantage than an, exper- an experienced player. And I was right. Only two of us really had any grasp of the rules. So Tim was handling the mechanics besides. She didn't feel out of place. Right. And I think that's a huge part of introducing players to the game, too. Hmm. You don't want to throw them into something that's rules-heavy, like, uh, I don't know, 5e. You want to put them into something that the rules can kind of step behind and allow them to role-play and then let the, let the rules and the dice become part of that as opposed to be the intimidating factor. Hmm. But that's, you know... I, I actually thought that one out before introducing her. But that It worked out well. Hmm. You know. Yeah, absolutely. Now, last of these introductory questions before we kind of get to some, uh, some other topics here. Um, and this is a question that some people found very difficult... And I'll tell you, the answer to this can be as philosophical or as sophomoric as you want it to be. Oh, jeez. All right. Let's hear it. If you could put anything on a t-shirt, what would it be? If I could put anything on a t-shirt, what would it be? And I will step in here just one second. It can't be your logo. No, I... Because that's a cop-out. No, 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 no. That would certainly... uh, Um... Hmm. You, you, you know, I, I, I'd probably have to go and hit one of those stupid, you know, like, like, like be awesome or something like that, you know. Mm-hmm. Not, 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 not because it, it, people are going to look at it and go, 
what, what a stupid saying, but I, I don't want advertisement on a shirt and anything beyond be awesome, be great, or, you know, love, love wins. Any, those short, stupid sayings mean a lot more than uh, reading 17 words in a t-shirt that I'm going to have to squint to make out anyway, so... Mm. Yeah, no, that's a that, that that's a tough one though because uh, I, 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 most of my shirts have nothing on them. Like this one, you know, I I and, and when I do wear shirts that have something on it, it's usually because I got it from a loot crate and I wear it around the house because uh, I don't know. But I, again, it would it would be something simple, even you know something simple, something that would have some sort of philosophical meaning without being overly wordy gotcha damn it requires a lot it requires a lot more thought or a lot more wine i'm not sure which one absolutely so you're drinking i just finished my drink you host a show called tank cars tavern so i gotta ask what what are we drinking this evening I am drinking uh, Cabernet Sauvignon. I tend to like uh, Cabernets and Merlots if I'm having wine. Uh, I used to have uh, my own little mini keg before I uh, had congestive heart failure and uh, type typed my my blood sugar was out of control. So like I guess I got to cut down on the carbs and I got to be a bit more responsible. So I got rid of the mini keg and. Uh, I only, I'll have beer if I go to my local pub for lunch with my wife, mm -hmm. but, uh, I'll have like, God, I'll be saying this, like a uh, Coors Light on tap, which, uh, I, I would have cringed if I said that like a year and a half ago, but, mm -hmm. and, uh, I, I'm, I'm also fond of, uh, taking a nice whiskey and, uh, making my own fireball whiskey with, uh, cinnamon sticks and, uh, stevia. Yeah. So it's like, that's my that's my low carb solution to to fireballs. When when you can give your mother a faux fireball whiskey and your mother goes back for seconds mm -hmm. and she's like wow, that was really at the holiday and she's like that was really good. Can I have another one? I'm like you drink whiskey, mom. Well, <laughs> now I do. This doesn't taste like whiskey. I go. Then I did a great job in concocting this. So, yeah. But uh, yeah, I, I I I like I like cabernets. Um, I. I Wine is something that came on me as as I got older. Hmm. Uh, I never thought I would be a big wine person, but I, I find wine allows me to to sip away at a glass over the course of an hour or two and and just relax and enjoy myself. Same thing with 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 a good whiskey. Uh, beer, you just drink too fast, and I guess that's an issue too. Yeah. Wasted calories. Absolutely. Although I do like beer still, but oh, I. Have... I... Love it too. <laughs> I had some uh, some Nelson's Greenbrier from uh, here in Nashville. So ah, uh, okay. I like to I like to drink. Tennessee has lots of great whiskeys. I I mean I love Kentucky bourbon. I love Scotch, but Tennessee whiskey actually is very very good. So you know, it's funny. Whiskey was something I was. It must have been about three or four years ago. I. I all right, I, maybe a little bit longer. I had a bartender uh, who used to, you know, I, I'd be down there and I'd be drinking uh, Sam Adams on tap, and he'd be buying me back with Tulane Mordew, uh, a nice Irish whiskey. And I was like, 
wow, that doesn't have any bite. What the? I'm, I was surprised. Hmm. And then I said, wow, I guess that's the way to start appreciating whiskey. And now, there's a number of whiskeys that I will and and enjoy that you know whether they're Irish or American. And I, if you would ask me, you know, four or five years ago, are you going to ever drink whiskey? And I'm like, oh, no, no. It's like, oh, maybe I'll have it neat. Maybe I'll have it on ice. Maybe I'll have it a shot. I'm surprising myself, I guess. I guess in my old age, I, I can't say I've mellowed, but I guess I've, I, I've gotten a little harder, at least when it goes to uh, the liquor. Absolutely. So, oh yeah, Telemore is very good, and uh, John Page here in chat is uh, is joining us with uh, some Elijah Craig, which is also good. So. Elijah Craig is very good. I found that uh, proper tw- actually proper twelve has like a vanilla aftertaste to it. It kind of surprised mm. me, but uh, can't can't always find it. It's, it's not that expensive, but it, for some reason it, it 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 sells out at my local liquor store very quickly. So I guess a lot of people in the area like uh, proper twelve, mm. or they just like uh, they 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 like mixed martial arts and like and like to watch the uh, the Irishman, uh, you know, pimp pimp proper twelve. And if you like, uh, you know, whiskey that's very smooth and and doesn't have a lot of bite to it, Japanese whiskey is actually very, very good at that. I haven't tried Japanese whiskey yet. That's something I I might have to uh, make a walk in the next day or two. Because I have no no whiskey in the house right now. I have wine. I I don't keep beer in the house anymore. I'll treat myself when I go down to the pub. But uh, hmm, Japanese whiskey, I got to keep that in mind. Yeah, look for some. Uh, the the brand that we get is uh, Suntory. That's the one that they consistently have at our liquor store. Uh, I think John in chat he he recommended another one at some point. I can't remember which one, but there's there's a couple good Japanese whiskey brands. It's it's very much, uh, it's it's very smooth, and uh, it it does sneak up on you though. So I, I will caution you there. It. It's deceptively smooth, but yeah, Suntory is very, very good. See, I, I actually did an experiment. Like I had turned uh, the Tullamore Dew into a full fireball, and that was amazing. But I was like, well, if I can turn a decent whiskey into it, I can get Fleischmann's. And how bad can Fleischmann's be if you turn it into a full? Yeah. Well, you, you have fly, it, it, where Tullamore Dew tasted really good after like four or five days, uh, Fleischmann's didn't start tasting okay until about two weeks into the aging process with the uh, cinnamon. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I'm, I, I, as Bad Mike told me uh, from North Texas, he goes, life is too short for bad whiskey. And he's Very probably true. right. Yeah, so, yeah, no, no, no more bad whiskey. Absolutely. So, what really prompted me to bring you on the show, uh, you've made a couple videos recently about bringing youth into the OSR movement. And just for a little bit of background, I started with 5e. I started when I was in college on 5th edition. I very much stumbled backwards blind into the OSR movement when I started doing this show just because I interviewed Levi Combs. Levi Levi is awesome. Oh yeah, Levi's a fantastic guy. But he introduced me to all the Frog God people and everyone kind of in that orbit. So everyone from Frog God plus like Skeeter Green and Ian McGarty and all those people. So 
I got to know them, and at some point, just kind of by proxy, just just by the people that I was having on the show and the games that I was talking about, I kind of found myself in this OSR space, but it wasn't until North Texas this year where I actually got to play Swords and Wizardry, uh, play a little bit of OD&D, and, and it was really Dungeon Crawl Classics that hooked me. Dungeon Crawl and Mutant nice. Crawl Classics. I was like, that's it. I'm an OSR guy now. So I I find myself in the OSR movement, and I also find myself being a, a bit of a minority here because, as I joked about with Jeff Telanian last week, in Texas, I looked around, and unless it was someone's kid, because, you know, Skeeter had, had his kids there, uh, Guppy's kids were there. Yep. Uh, I think Casey's daughter Steve, was there. Steve Marsh's daughter was there, I think, with one of her girlfriends. Yeah, uh, Glenn, Glenn Hal actually, Glenn Halstrom's grandson was there, and I hadn't seen his grandson in two years. But there was, I, but I wasn't in North Texas in uh, in the prior year because of COVID, and his son is seven, his grandson's now 17. He looks like he's 21. I didn't recognize him, and I was just like, Wow, who's this new gamer at the table playing uh, Star Wars D D6? And then afterwards, it's like, oh, he's with Glenn. Oh, my God! <laughs> it's like... But, uh, yeah, this, that... Listen, the younger gamers are going to be the future of the hobby, whether it's 5e, whether it's uh, old-school gaming, uh, the OSR, Call of Cthulhu, whatever it is. It's the younger gamers that are going to carry the torch. Mm -hmm. uh, the older gamers are getting just that we're getting older hmm. and if we don't bring fresh blood in uh well I'm, well I'm in a nursing home who's gonna run games for me if it isn't the next generation come on hmm. i'm gonna be too old to run the games i'm gonna have to be a player yeah but yeah i mean it was it was the the kids of the kind of the 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 grognards and the the people who make uh you know osr games and then it was me and uh, Ben Barsh, but Ben, I mean, his dad uh, designs OSR stuff. So it it seems like it's me and Ben and a bunch of people whose dads uh, release games and, and modules. And it seems like we're the, the youth movement in the OSR. In, yeah, in I mean, I, I think uh, was it Aaron the Pendantic was uh, yeah. he's 30. You know, he I, I got to meet him at the con. Um, I, I will say that for North Texas, I saw more youth. And I say I'm going to use youth loosely as un, 30 and under mm -hmm. than I think I've uh, ever seen at North Texas. And you'll see more of that at, at Game Hole because yep. Game Hole has this whole uh, track aimed at youth. And that's, that's and it's a beautiful thing. And and game hall is a much larger convention. You can actually have a a, a track like that. But yeah, I mean, I've I've never been the type to say, "Damn it, kids, get off my lawn." Mm -hmm. At least when it comes at least when it comes to gaming. I mean, I guess if I had random kids on my on my stoop, I'd probably bring out the hose. But that's that's not about this. And when it comes to gaming, um. The, the OSR, there are some people in the OSR who are very rigid in what they expect from a game. Mm -hmm. uh, and, I, and they're probably very rigid in what they expect from life. 
uh, I, I am a bit less so, but then again, you're experiencing the OSR, so you know that we can't even agree on what OSR stands for. Yeah. Right? Absolutely. We, 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 we don't know what it means, old school role playing, old school rules, old school renaissance, old school regurgitated. We, we don't really know, and we don't even know what the cutoff is. Like, well, is uh, old school D&D first edition and earlier? Does second edition count as old school? Mm-hmm. What is the cutoff? Well, it, it, well, if it's second edition is old school, then wouldn't the original World of Darkness be old school? Because it was published to be, you know, it, it becomes haphazard. I, I, I think old school gaming covers more, more, more ground than OSR. Uh, but I, I've tried defining it over the years, and it, it, it's a worthless attempt to even try, you know. So, but. Yes, I believe that you've got to bring new blood in. And new blood can be the youth. It can be bringing in your spouses. It can be bringing in your kids, bringing in your friends. We need new blood. The age is irrelevant. If my niece decides at 10 years old that she wants to start playing uh, Swords and Wizardry, because she thought I wrote Swords and Wizardry light for her when she was just short of six years old. Uncle, it's only four pages. You can teach me to play D&D from this. I'm like, hmm. I actually wrote it because I wanted my wife to play Swords and Wizardry. And she'll never read a rule book, but four pages, I figured, was something we could do. But you mm-hmm. know what? You're right. It's a great... When you... The, when you I, I personally think that when it comes to old school gaming, especially the OSR, your playing system, even if you came in with 5e, I I ran a group of 5e players through uh, Swords and Wizardry, Rappanathic, a couple of ja- Gary Cons ago, because our 5e GM got snowed out. Hmm. And they were expecting to play this session in 5e. I knew the adventure. I knew the 3d terrain. I would not run 5e because I don't know it. I mean, I could run it for my, I don't know, a home group, because they don't expect me to not look up rules every three minutes you don't want that at a convention. Convention, you have a certain expectation of your GM. That they be conversant with the rule set that you're going to play with. That they can give you a good time. Mm-hmm. It's not going to be uh, everybody learning at once. So I said to them at the table, I go, listen, I have these Swords of Wizardry Light rules. They are free. Um, I know the adventure. I did not know the 5 year rules. And unless somebody here plans on being my co-DM, uh, we're going to run this with Swords of Wizardry Light because your DM gets snowed out. No hard feelings if you don't feel comfortable with this, if you want to, you know, do something different. Uh, I, I go, again, I don't blame you. One, well, I had a full table, one player walked away out of eight. And one player stepped in, walking by, going, you got a free seat? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> All right, uh, what are we playing? Swords of Woodsbury. Never heard of it, let's try it. <laughs> and I had people roll out the characters, and 15 minutes into it, we were running. And except for one player who kept on trying to roll uh, intuition, the tech lie, and a few other things, to had to explain to him, we don't have those rules in Swords of Wizardry. Um, within good thirty minutes, they got they, they they got the feel for it, because it isn't that different from Five E mechanically. Hmm. The difference is the amount of expenditure of mental energy you have to put into the rules as opposed to the experience. 
And that's what I think is very, very rewarding whether it comes to old school gaming. What you, whether you're playing uh, Swords and Wizardry or DCC, DCC is, is only heavy because of the charts. Once you want to meet the charts, the rules themselves for DCC just fall to the wayside. Um, Call of Cthulhu is something that literally falls to the wayside. These are games that aren't rules heavy, they are experience heavy. 5e has a rule that will cover pretty much everything, so you take a lot of that weight off of a well-trained DM. If they know the rules, then there's a rule for everything. Hmm. Well, gaming requires the GM to be a bit more empowered, and a little bit more... Uh, players have to have a bit more faith and trust in the GM to run things fairly, because a lot of things are open to interpretation. Hmm. Uh, I, I think that something like Swords and Wizardry Light uh, works great at conventions because players can pick up the rules. For the players, it's just two pages they need to look at, and they can create your own character. I, I always prefer... Uh, I, I hate pure pre-gens at a, at a convention because you never can get attached to them, which is why I like the idea of something like Swords and Wizardry Light, roll your characters at a table in 15 minutes, and then we're up and running. But the combats play out quicker than 5e because 5e or Pathfinder are more intricate combat. They got more options. You got a lot more things to think about when it comes to game mechanics, whereas opposed to old school games, you're more like, all right, well, if I want to swing from the chandelier, what do I have to do? All right, well, you got to tell me what you want to do. All right, you know, it seems like, okay, well, so the chandelier, uh, uh, give me a. Uh, Roll under your decks to see if you can uh, leap and grab the chandelier, and if you do, I'll give you a plus two to your hit roll as you leap, you, as you throw yourself feet forward into the ogre. All right. Mm -hmm. If you fail, you're gonna land on your ass. Uh, give me another save. Give me a saving throw uh, against uh, D6 falling damage. If you save, you'll take half damage. That requires faith in the GM. You have to be able to say that to that GM. I I will accept your ruling. Mm -hmm. Whereas with 5e. You're going to go, all right, well, hold on a section. Well, let me find the rule for that. Here's the rule that will cover that. All right, there's a rule for everything. And so that, 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 slow, that can slow down play. But at the same time, old school gaming requires, especially at a convention setting, a very skilled DM that knows what rules there are so they can make those interpretations, they can make those rulings, and they can hopefully... Have the players feel comfortable with their rulings? It's it, it, mm. it's 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 a balance. It really is. Yeah, it's a weird balance. Yeah, absolutely. And to to kind of to kind of throw my opinion out here because I don't know. I've spent so much time on the show asking people what is the OSR. What do you think the OSR is? I've never tried to define it myself. I think now. I actually have an idea of what the OSR is, and and I don't think this is going to settle any debates because... Oh, I can uh, guarantee you it won't, even yeah. if I agree with you. Yeah, it won't, because... Gamers, I, I'm, in, I'm in two different scenes, gamers and libertarianism, where it's always an argument, no matter how simply you put things... Um, oh, libertarians can't agree on what, on what is covered by libertarianism. Okay? Yeah, it's true. 
and 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 I will say that as somebody who actually I don't normally talk about politics, but I voted libertarian in a number of elections, mm-hmm. um, and I, I will tell you that I've looked at candidates in, in in different elections and gone, well, this one is absolutely like a one sixty, and then a ninety degree upturn from the prior, <laughs> yep. and they're still the libertarians because it covers such a large space. Mm-hmm. Libertarian is a lot. It's it's a lot about independent thought. Yeah, uh, it's it's my thought on it, and I don't tend to fall into anybody's preconceived notions of politics anyway. So hmm. they can all screw. They can all go screw. But in any case, didn't need to interrupt. Continue. But yeah, I I think more than anything, the OSR is it's like punk rock. It's an attitude. It's a state of mind, and I think the best way that it's described actually comes from the back, the very back cover of Dungeon Crawl Classics, uh, where it says, you're no hero, you're an adventurer, a reaver, a cut purse, a heathen slayer, a tight-lipped warlock guarding long-dead secrets. You seek glory or gold and glory, winning it with sword and spell, caked in the blood and filth of the weak, the dark, the demons, and the vanquished. There are treasures to be won deep underneath, and you shall have them. In that in that little block of text, everything you need to know about the OSR is present right there. You are not a superhero. You are someone who stepped off of a farm and found a sword somewhere. And you are going to go... Uh, you're likely going to die in the process, but you are going to go get as much treasure and as much uh, you know notoriety as you can in the short life that you have. And that, to me, is the the definition of what OSR gaming is. And it's why I think the OSR is something that a lot of young people don't know they want. Oh, definitely. Because here's the thing. We, as young people or old people, but especially younger, you often, you want to get to the prize. Mm-hmm. And you don't realize that the experience the experience that you go through to get to the prize is is really what the where the value is. Five mm-hmm. um, E starts you off where and again it's not it's not a bad system. It's right. it's a system that I'd be happy to play in. I'm not going to learn the rules well enough to ever run it. That's just being honest because mm-hmm. it's just uh, too heavy for me. But the power levels in it are for my for my taste, too high because the risk versus reward. It's all about five E is all about balance. Um, the OSR is, is not about balance. DCC is not about balance. Hmm. DCC the, the the rules can swing you left or right. And uh, I'll be honest with you, even though I don't really run DCC anymore, I did run it for a while. Um, I love the adventures enough that I will convert them on the fly to Swords of Mystery. Because I think they're some of the best episodic adventures I've ever seen written. They just ooze atmosphere, and uh, they're just spot on. Mm-hmm. But the OSR is um, rulings, not rules, and it's about the stri- striving to succeed as, a, as opposed to knowing that you will succeed. Five, you know, five e, you pretty much know. I mean, I don't know how many times you got to fail a roll before your character will actually die in 5e. 
in, in the old in, in the OSR, you're usually trying to go, all right, well, if I die, can I get resurrected? Is that, I mean, how much is it going to cost the party to, oh, my God. We're going to have to do it. Get Gaius for a quest to get this. Maybe we'll just leave him dead. Whereas in 5e, you're probably not going to get to that point in the first place. Mm-hmm. I personally, as um, as a DM, feel that even with the with old school gaming, with the OSR, I am somebody who believes that the sweet point is what we would have called uh, name level back in AD&D levels uh, in first edition. So nine. Ninth level, tenth level, is pretty much in in my eyes where the game starts breaking down. Where you're no longer worried about succeeding. Now it's about just accumulating more crap because you can pretty much over, overbear any encounter you're going to see. Mm-hmm. I think the sweetest part of of old school gaming is like levels four through seven, four through eight. You start getting powerful enough to start risking things like taking on things that are much more powerful than you because you think if we really plan this out well we can get lucky and defeat it whereas uh with 5e as written and as the adventures are written you're not going to be put in those situations so there's a different mindset there's more risk versus reward in old school gaming i i would think yeah and and ultimately what it comes down to um in 5e because it's all about balance and it's all built around balance, everything is accomplished through your dice and your character sheet. And where I feel the OSR has an edge over, uh, you know, 5e and even, uh, you know, Pathfinder and just kind of the the mainstream big two games uh, that I think is going to drive people kind of into the OSR's arms if we play our cards right, OSR gaming is not just what's on your sheet and what your dice show. It's all very much how you use this, how you use your head, and the solutions you come up with to work around the fact that your wizard has three hit points and one spell. You got to think out of the box, and there aren't. Old school gaming doesn't have a rule for, like we mentioned before, it does not have a rule for everything. Mm-hmm. It means that you just can't, and that was part of the issue when I ran that one session for the 5e players. I had one guy who kept on getting stuck in the mindset for the first hour of, I don't know what to do. I go, tell me what you want to do. But I don't know what I can do. Like, just tell me what you want to do? Do you want to search the room? Do you want to listen for noise? What 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 are you looking for? Yeah, but I don't have the I don't have the abilities for anything because it get it. it there is having too much in a way of rules is restrictive because once you find things that don't get covered by those rules, you're not able to move. It's almost like a deer caught in headlights. It's like, what do I do now? Whereas if you're if you're trained as a gamer to always be thinking outside the box, well, this isn't covered by the rules, but I have I have faith in, in my DM that if I explain what I want to do, if it's realistically plausible, maybe stupid, but maybe if it's plausible, he'll tell me what it is that I have to do to accomplish that. And then the other secret of the GM in those cases is to be consistent. If you make a ruling on how you're going to handle somebody swinging from a chandelier and jumping into an ogre uh, well make sure that you 
you know, you make a note of how you rule that. So you now have something that covers that situation. Because trust me, your players will go, but yeah, but last time you ruled X. Now you're ruling Y. How come? So and that's going to happen too. But again, it, it, old school gaming requires a lot of shared imparting of authority to the GM. Mm-hmm. And that's something that you don't see as much in 5e and Pathfinder because there's not as you're not going to interpret the rules differently or you're not going to have parts of the rules that have all these big holes. You know, I think the more you you tighten down a system, the more the more rules you have, the further away you go from multiple gaming. Hmm. And I'm not saying whether that's good or bad. Every group, every player has their own own preferences. But I do I agree with you. I think there's a large number of 5e players that if they knew what they could experience, if they knew what their options were, would find old school gaming. And even if it wasn't something they wanted to play every session, they'd be like, wow, that's a great break from my normal way of gaming and allows me to think out of the box. And I think that would be an interesting option for a lot yeah. of them. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, ultimately, so so I don't believe that 5e is going to end up being a very sticky game system. At some point, this, uh, this cultural bubble that we have is going to burst. Uh, you know, at some point, they're not going to make any more seasons of Stranger Things. Uh, at some point, Critical Role is no longer going to be putting out videos or, you know, Wizards is going to make... Uh, sixth edition and people aren't going to like it as much and critical role will fall off it's at some point it's it's gonna it's gonna come crashing um, down this this popularity of rpgs currently is not going to stay where it will, is forever there will be a cycle however mm-hmm. uh i don't believe that wizards of the coast is going they've looked at the mistake that pathfinder and paizo made mm-hmm. and they saw what happens when you reboot a system and you invalidate hundreds of supplements and you put all these third-party publishers in the hole mm-hmm. they've seen what that's done because what it really did is it, it and there are there are pathfinder players that are going to you know scream bloody murder when i say this again but they really killed the pathfinder market by doing that and they alienated a lot of publishers mm-hmm. i believe what we are going to see from uh dungeons and dragons fifth edition is we are going to see um kind of like a stealth edition coming out they're not going to announce a new edition they're going to announce a new new printing with revised text and clarifications of rules and some of the updates that they put into tashes and a few other things thrown in but it's going to be backwards compatible with the 5e products because that is a you don't want to lose the cash cow and that's the cash cow yeah i I believe we are going to see their next cash cow is going to be what they failed to do with 4E, and that's going to be a VTT, and it's going to be a subscription service. Hmm. Uh, in 4E, they wanted to actually do it with microtransactions and have you pay for every every virtual mini, but when you uh, have uh, when, when your main programmers, when one kills the other in a love circle gone bad, um, that killed the VTT for 4 mm-hmm. I believe they're going to do it right for 5e, but this is this is a cash cow 
Wizards of the Coast is making $800 million as a division. Hmm. And although most of that's magic, a lot of that is still D&D. And you don't, you don't kill your cash cow. Like, Paizo had no choice. Right. Because they were losing market to 5e. Hmm. 5e is not losing market to 5e. Right. So, and then they don't necessarily, they don't necessarily need to sell more core books because everybody's buying their stupid splat books anyway. Mm-hmm. You know, because they're, they, they've learned to pace them a lot better than the 2e era of uh, TSR did. Yep. So, but again, I, I, I it, they announced a sixth edition um, that wasn't backwards compatible to 5e. Uh, I, I, there'd be a huge pushback. And, and why do that when all you can do is push players to Paizo? Right. Why? But yeah, even whatever the, the winds of change blow through, um, at some point there will be, you know, these, these new gamers that came in, uh, not all of them are going to be here to stay. In fact, I, I, no. I'd be willing to say a majority of them won't stay, but for those who do, if we in the OSR can play our cards right and, and really present ourselves as some a place for them to come, I think those who really fell in love with gaming as a whole uh, will find that the OSR has a lot to offer them. But a lot of it's going to come down to how we are perceived by that audience and, uh, you know, that, that not just that we have like a welcoming environment for them, but... I'll say, uh, just, you know, talking, being in my 20s, a lot of people my age uh, aren't going to see a table full of gray-haired guys uh, who are a little bit grumpy, uh, even though they're all, you know, nice people in my experience. Uh, a bunch of grumpy gray-haired guys sitting around a table, they're not going to see that and go, that's for me. That's, this is the, this is the oh, hip-hop God, thing. no. <clears throat> and that's, and that's going to be part of it, too, I think. Mm-hmm. To bring younger gamers to the old school table, you're gonna already have to have some younger gamers seated at that table. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, and the easiest ones to see at the table are our own family members. Yep. Uh, you know, now my son is 28 and has absolutely no interest in in gaming. Mm-hmm. He was an he played MMOs and all that stuff, but tabletop RPGs, no. Now his fiance. Surprised me when she was, you know, she's played some 5e online using Roll20. Mm-hmm. I was just like, wow, I, I, how'd that happen? And she's like, oh, just the friends I've made it through work. And I was like, oh, all right, well, and I have I given her Swords and Wizardry rule books to read? And she's always, you know, always welcome to ask me questions. I'm not running anything at the moment. I will be running by the end of the summer for my original game group from high school and college. That's going to be interesting. But, uh, you know, I, I think that the only way you're going to bring in younger blood, not, not necessarily fresh blood, but younger blood, is to, uh, it can be multifaceted, but part of the core part of it is to have younger gamers that are interested in the OSR bring their friends in. you got to get somebody in first to do it. When... Um, I retired a number of years ago. Uh, the project I assigned to myself to do was to make an OSR rule set that was going to be uh, free and easily accessible and uh, something that you could leave at game stores and, or conventions and people could pick it up and, and find an old school rule set that wasn't just a quick start. 
And it had to be something that was a, a single sheet, and I couldn't do it in a single sheet. And that's when Frog God stepped up and said, I like your idea. What if we did this four-page single large sheet folder uh, and which became sort of misery light? And I did that in a way because I wanted to introduce my, introduce my wife more firmly to old-school gaming, and I simplified the things that I found were the big things that were rough on new players. In the case of my wife, multi rough for just being a new player, but she's legally blind. So mm-hmm. for her to differentiate between a D20 and a D12, uh, a D10 and a D8 was difficult. So I was like, all right, well, we do an old school rule set with a D20 and a D6. And pretty much, you know, uh, simplify the dice. Uh, and uh, for me, the important part with that one was to make sure there was leveling. I hate kick quick starts because you get a great experience from it and it's a great adventure and then you're stuck going, what the hell do I do next? Because there's no rules for leveling or, or getting better with my character. So I wanted to make sure you could level three levels and you could see what that to me is what role-playing is about. Your character has to improve and and be able to take on new challenges. It isn't just a a single session. So um, I envisioned that to be something that could bring players in. And I got to say, Frog Eye Games has done a great job with that, giving uh, physical copies out to schools, giving physical copies out to conventions. When uh, parents have come with their kids to conventions, it's great to be able to give a 10-year-old kid, hey, here's a rule set, and here's 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 two dice, and that's all you're going to need to play this on the line with your friends. That is is a way to get the younger generation involved. And a lot of it is, I mean, the OSR already has it, I think, based upon price point. A lot of the rules are available in PDF for free, which is great, but to be able to get somebody a physical copy for free, which Frog Guard has allowed uh, us to do, um, I don't care whether they want to play Sword and Wizardry or Labyrinth Lord or DCC or Adventurer Conqueror King system or Hyperborea from Jeff. Great yep. freaking game. Um, I don't care what they play. Even if they play 5e in the end, as long as they're playing, as long as they're enjoying the experience, I'd love them to be old school gamers. But if they want to play 5e, and that's what the sweet point is, more power to them. But I just want to see the younger generation get into gaming. Uh, a little bit of a passion of mine, I guess you could say. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, I mean, it's it's the way forward. It's the way we survive. It's the way, uh, you know, this this thing doesn't die as soon as kind of the, the last grognard gets, kicks the bucket, if, you know, to, right. to put it... Um, no, I, in, it's a valid way. Listen, you're looking at somebody who had congestive heart failure last year, and I, I, I was like, geez, what if I do happen to kick the bucket? And it really puts things into perspective. So I would, this is a hobby that I have a lot of value in because it's some great things for me as a kid, as a teen. Um, it, both, I, I was a shy youth. You probably wouldn't guess that from talking to me now, but I was a shy youth. Um, and gaming has been as a tool for so much. A, a, a weird way to put it, as a, as a rookie cop, when I didn't know what to do, I would say to myself, if I was role-playing a police officer, what would I do? And that was usually right about nine out of ten times. Hmm. When I was wrong, I was wrong. But, I mean, that role-playing teaches you so many life skills. Hmm. And I think that's a great tool for our youth, especially the the tweens and the teens. Um, And not just 
reinforcing reading and math and all that stuff, but just socialization, which gets lost a lot in today's generation where everybody goes on social media and the personal interaction has been lessened. Gaming forces you to personally interact. And I, hmm. I, that, that's such a value in that. Absolutely. And one thing that I think will help us um, kind of keep the, the OSR going and, and get people interested in the OSR is having uh, ambassadors, influencers, if you will, even though I hate that word, people with shows like, like your show, like my show, and then one of the best at it, in my opinion right now, is Professor Dungeon Master. Oh, God. Showing people... You know, this is this is kind of the old school way. This is the way that people have been doing things for forever. And it's not. And again, not PDM has been great. He came on the show and and, you know, did a lot for me. He sent me that giant copy of hate because I won one of his competitions. Nice. Um, he he's not he is not a young guy. He's no. he's older. But he makes everything sound so cool and so new and so fresh, even though it's the way things have been done since, you know, the late 70s, early 80s. He has this way of presenting it as if it's this kind of, you know, novel, interesting, new way of looking at things. And honestly, that's that's the magic bullet. That's that's going to be the thing that gets people that gets younger people, people like myself to, to take interest in the OSR. He can talk to both generations and he can say, look, I'm running this in 5e, but it's an old school adventure. And even running an old school adventure in 5e gets you to see that things aren't balanced and things mm -hmm. do require you to think outside the box, which is great. Uh, I, I watched him because uh, get my, my co-host, Joe the Lawyer, every other Friday. Joe's like, dude, you got to watch Professor Dungeon Master. And I'm like, uh, really? He goes, no, no, really? He goes, I'm like, Joe, he's 5E, right? He goes, dude, he's 5E, and he's old school. And he goes, just like me. I'm like, <laughs> like you? He goes, just like me. Joe is old school, but he runs 5E because that's mm -hmm. what his groups always want. I'm like, all right, I'll give it a look. I went, holy crap, he's good. And the fact that he is uh, a teacher, I believe he teaches high school. It could be junior high school, but mm -hmm. he's, a, he's a teacher. Um to be one of his students, I could only imagine the learning experience because he's got a passion and a way to bring you into what he's talking about. I don't want to say he's a natural uh, showman. He is um, a natural speaker who can get your attention and explain stuff in ways that you go. Even I mean, I, I've been gaming. God, it's going to be about forty years now, and I'm watching his show going. I'm learning stuff, and this scares me because usually, you know, I'll, maybe I'll play in somebody's game at a, at a convention. It's like, oh, that's a little trick I should have thought about. And that's pretty interesting. Mm -hmm. And Professor Dungeon Master, I find myself enthralled going, oh, geez, wait, 15 minutes already done? All right, I guess I have to subscribe to his Patreon so I can get the extra minutes because uh, there's not enough time for me to watch this stuff. So uh, I, I was lucky. He gave me a shout-out of because of my uh tendency to uh look at statistics because I, I i was a statistician for a while uh when i was a cop and then you get focused looking at crime stats and trends and and patterns you look for that in other things and i can i have an eye for that now so uh 
I actually did reach out to him, and uh, I'm looking forward to end of the month. Uh, Joe, myself, a professor Dun Dungeon Master, are going to be hitting the complete strategist in Manhattan. So it's going to be an interesting trip. Uh, I'm going to have to make sure Joe doesn't go all fanboy because I'm sure <laughs> he wants to go all fanboy. Hmm. But uh, yeah, I, I really, his stuff is, I want to say surprisingly good, but it's, I shouldn't be surprised. It's amazingly good. It's, hmm. it's really, and like I said, it hits on all levels. It hits old school, it hits new school. Uh, that's a rare ability to have. I, I don't have that hmm. at all. So. And an, another guy who's actually very good at it, and he he's kind of the opposite of Professor Dungeon Master in that he is a natural showman. He's very energetic, uh, but he's also just kind of off the wall and insane. But I think Hankerin Fernell is also very good at kind of communicating old school concepts in a new and interesting way. Because the, the way he looks at things and the way like Index Card RPG reads... He has that that OSR mindset. I don't think he'd put himself in the OSR box, but he very much uh, is the kind of figure that would bring more young people to a movement like this and get them thinking about games in kind of that old school way. Well, and, and that's honestly what we need. I mean, uh, listen, when I came back to gaming again, uh, and my wife, I started blogging. Blogging was big. Uh, a dozen years ago in the old school uh, sphere, blog, OSR blogs were some of the biggest gaming blogs that you could see out there. Now there's, there are very few of them left because uh, how we uh, consume our media, whether it is gaming or old school gaming, whatever, we, for a while we moved to podcasts, and now we're moving to streams, whether it's on YouTube or whether it's on Zoom. Uh, that you know, people have changed how they consume the information that they want to receive from their content creators. So I think that things like this, like your like your Zoom show and your company and podcast, and things like my YouTube channel and my company podcast and Professor Dungeon Master and all these others, Questing Beast, these are the ways that people are going to get their first taste. Some people. Of old school gaming, and uh, you just gotta make sure that when they get that taste, that there's a table, you know, ready to accept them as part of their table, whether it's virtual or at a game store or in somebody's home. You know, I, 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 I have a real issue with with, with gatekeeping. And I've never been great about that. Never been happy about it. And I'll, I'll mock fourth edition as as a game, but I'm not mocking fourth edition players. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah, if you if you enjoy it, you 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 enjoy it. At least you're you're, you're enjoying part of the hobby. Hmm. If you're not in the hobby, you can't experience other parts of the hobby. You know, the only way you're going to get people to experience five E or or old sort old school gaming if you don't bring them in directly. If they're playing something else, for them to find it, and you got to be there and ready for them where they are. Hmm. Absolutely. So. Now, now one thing I will say, uh, and. I wouldn't consider this a, a defense of gatekeeping by any means, but there is there's a certain subset of people out there uh, who who come from kind of you know all all sides of things. What they want is to make everyone like what it is they like, and they want to change everything into exactly what it is they want. Those kinds of people, we have to be careful of 
letting them exert undue influence over really anything. But, you know, these are, these are the kind of people who will... Uh, the they, they think they're it's a roommate, they, but they're you, a guest. Yeah. Right. They, 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 listen, you're, you're describing the Borg from the next generation. Yeah. yeah. They're trying to assimilate. They, and they know best. And it, you know what? They, they are the ones that often are doing their own version of gatekeeping. Mm-hmm. You know, because like, it's, it's, if, you're not, if you're not doing it my way, if you're not following uh, uh, our way of, of play and, and, and whatever other uh, isms are going to be attached to it, then you're not doing it right. And you mm-hmm. should, that, that, that is, they're doing their own sort of gatekeeping. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I, I love running games at conventions because convention games give me something. I generally won't have my, my, my own, my own groups, my own, my home group, whether it's my face to face group from high school and college, or whether it's the the group that I, I I gathered with ten years ago online and we still keep in touch, these are people that I uh, you know I, I am friends with, but we're friends even outside of gaming. And you're not you're kind of static, you know. You're not changing. Whereas when you go to a convention, you expose yourself to different gamers and different types of gamers, mm-hmm. whether it and different. Uh, play styles and different nationalities and sometimes you know uh, different ethnic origins that you don't deal with at your normal game table and I find that to be exciting. Um, there are some people that get very uh, uh, standoffish about that. I think that that's the great thing about conventions because it forces you out of your normal I don't know, usual comfort zone. First thing as a GM. I have to like, you know, Make sure I, I I can match the expectations of a varied audience, which is it's easy when you have your normal group. You know what they want. Hmm. You, you can you, you can you can be half asleep and half in a bottle and still hit those sweet points. Yeah. You can't do that at a convention game without reading the players as, as the game as the game goes on, and I, I enjoy that challenge. It it it, it brings out a better game extra I mean and a better person I think in the end, but. Uh, you know, it, it, that requires, um, again, there are people that will gatekeep and say, well, the only people that should be playing are the people that were playing this back in 1980. Well, you know what? See how long that lasts. <laughs> yeah, see how long that lasts is we all get, I mean, Bad Mike and I have discussed this a number of times because he runs a gaming convention, which is focused on old school gaming. He's like, you know, we're losing old school guests that are no longer being able to show up in person because that generation um, is reaching their 70s, mm-hmm. sometimes beyond. You know, I'm not quite of that generation, but I'm going to be 54 this summer. It it catches up to you. Uh, and, and if you don't bring in uh, new blood that enjoy the game, and, and are they going to change the game? You know, that's just, listen, I'm not the person I was 40 years ago. I don't expect old school gaming to be the same 40 years from now. Mm-hmm. Old school gaming 40 years is going to be looking back and saying, we did what? Yeah, it's, it's part of the process. Mm-hmm. I when, I, when I was a cop for 20 years, the, 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 the police department that I joined or the job that I joined in 96 was different when I, than when I retired in 2016 by leaps and bounds. But somebody coming in at 2016 sees what they saw at 2016 
So in 20 years from that, that's going to be their old school. That's going to be like, oh, wow, it was so much different when I came on. It, it was so much better. We always think things were better 20 years ago, and I think that's because we also, you know, look, look through those rose-colored glasses and, and kind of forget some of the crap that we dealt with 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. You only remember the good stuff, and you kind of put the old bad stuff to the side. So. Yeah. Okay, we'll, we'll see. And I... I guess my, my my closing thoughts on how the OSR is going to continue and and evolve and, and always be there for the people who want this kind of gaming, what we need to realize about this, it's not the old school way. It is the old school way, but it's the timeless way. This is this idea of it's not your stats and your dice, it's your stats, your dice, and your brain, primarily yep. your brain, that are going to get you through this game and get you from farmer who found a sword on the ground to the greatest warrior in the Nine Realms. If we can take that attitude, that theme, that microcosm of, you know, this is what gaming is, and... You know, instead of saying this is, you know, this is the old way, this is the way that, you know, this is the way that the founding fathers of gaming uh, intended for games to be. If we can say, you know, this is the enduring, this is the way where you're going to maximize your fun. This is where you're going to find the most fulfilling type of game. And the the game that you're not going to get bored with is easy because there's always a new challenge. That, I think, is going to be the health of the OSR movement and the health of gaming uh, moving forward as things evolve, as, you know, trends come and go. If we can somehow turn the the old school renaissance or the old school revival into this is timeless gaming. This is the the blue jeans, the Coca-Cola. This is, you know, the, the pure... Uh, unchanged, unadulterated version of this is the highest form of gaming that we can achieve. If that's what we really believe about the OSR movement, then that's what we need. It's We need to move away from nostalgia, because all nostalgia is is a drug. Right. I mean, I, I can kind of say something like... I, I worked with somebody who was a big Ford Mustang fan. Mm-hmm. And you look at the Ford Mustang, has it evolved over the years? Yes. But can you look at a Mustang from 2016 and one from uh, 1976, 40 years difference, right? And go look at it and go, you can still see it's the same idea, yep. but maybe it's it's matured and it's modernized, but it's still the same thing. Yep. I, I think the OSR needs to take on some kind of attitude of that sort where it's like, yes, we keep true to what we were while still moving on with where we are now. And that that is something that if you can if you can do that and and again with the Mustangs that's one of the few things I think that really has found that sweet spot where it's evolved and yet still remains true. Um, I, I think that we can we can do very well. Um, you're never going to do five E numbers, right. um, and, and I don't even, and, and part of that is because there are so many OSR systems out there that the choices are literally. What does your party feel most comfortable with? Is it DCC? Mm-hmm. Are we going to do a funnel? I love I love funnels so much that I've run funnels for uh, Swords and Wizardry, you know, because I think it's, it's a great little uh, you know trick to use for your games. Mm-hmm. But um, 
I mean, there's so many different OSR systems that you're not going to have the OSR grab a market share that some people are like, oh my God. But I think we can be a substantial player uh, it's on a whole by bringing in the youth. Uh, and I think you have some valid ideas on how to do so. So we, we'll, have to, we'll have to see if the, the youth follow. Which made a Pied Piper? Absolutely. So we have kind of reached the end of our time here. Uh, there, I mean, there, there's a lot more to talk about on this topic and, and other topics around gaming. Uh, and I did this on purpose. Uh, I, I did not at all want to talk about uh, the implosion of TSR3. Oh. So I'm, oh. I'm glad that yeah. we avoided that. No, I'm, I'm, I'm glad we avoided that too. They're, they're doing a fine job of uh, shooting themselves in the foot multiple times. I don't think they need any more help. Mm-hmm. So that, 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 that was fine. Um, Oh, listen, I really appreciate you having me on. This is a lot, a lot of fun, and, and it, it, you know, it's 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 just like there's a difference between being a, a DM and a player. It's a different experience. It's different from when you when when you're a host or a guest, and usually I'm like a host. It feels different being a guest. It's like a lot more relaxing. It's like wow, I just got to follow along and, and make sure I sound halfway competent, as opposed to. Make making sure I'm directing everything. So you did a great job. It made me feel Thanks. great. So well done. Absolutely, and I'm sure there's there's going to be tons to talk about uh, with all aspects of gaming moving forward. So anytime you want to come back on, Eric, just let me know and oh, and we'll do this. You you tell me. Well, I, I can't. I, I might be older, but I'm also retired. So uh, for the, uh, although I do three live streams a week, God help me. Um, you know, early in the week. If 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 you're if you got something open and you want to talk about it, you know how to ping me. I'm more than happy. Uh, it was a good time, and like I said, there is a certain joy in knowing that you are the guest, and I'm really enjoying being the guest. Absolutely. Well, as we close out, is there anything you want to plug? You know, you've got your live streams, you've got Tankar's Tavern, you have uh, the blog. Uh, anything you want to tell people about and tell them where to find it? Uh, the floor is yours, sir. All right. Well, uh, you can find uh, myself and my co-hosts at youtube.com slash Tavern. Uh, we usually uh, YouTube up every day. We do live streams on Wednesdays, Fridays, and Saturdays at 8 p.m. Eastern. Uh, Tank Cars Tavern is the blog. If you go to the blog and check out the post for today, is July 12th, uh, we, we released Torchlight, the zine for uh, Sword of Wizardry, issue number one. Uh, it's three bucks in PDF. We're going to have print copies, hopefully, in time for ShireCon in September, but if not, game hole. But if you want the PDF, go to the blog, tankcarstavern.com, click on the link, you'll save a buck. There you go, nice and easy. Awesome. Cool. Well, guys, that is going to do it for uh, today's episode. Thank you for uh, for joining us. As I mentioned at the top of the show, uh, when when John showed up in chat here, next week is going to be session zero of my first ever uh, actual play live stream here on Rolling Bones. Uh, the setting is Night Haven, and uh, the adventure is called Shades of Grey. I will leave it there. Uh, and explain more next Monday. John and Joe Page will be uh, 
will be joining me as well as Prax and Rez from Gamertarians. I am looking forward to it. This is going to be Rez's first time playing in an actual uh, campaign of D&D, so it'll be cool to have a, a new player. And uh, the week after next, I will be doing an introduction. For those of you who don't know anything about it, you've heard me talk about it, but I'll be doing an introduction to DCC. Uh, just going through the rules, going through what makes that ses- that system so special here on Rolling Bones. And then August 2nd, first Monday of August, Luau Lu is going to be joining us to talk a little bit about Dare Luck Club and other stuff that he's got going on. Just finalized that this morning, so that's what we've got coming down the pipe, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, so if you're into, you know, 5e, old school games, uh, you know, new adventures, all that stuff... Keep it right here on Rolling Bones. I think we'll really surprise you moving forward uh, with these next few weeks. So until then, guys, whether you rolled a 1 or a 20, I'm so glad that you rolled your bones with me, Ryan Howard, and I will see you guys next week. Later, folks.